listening to audio from Oasis Church in Winter Haven, Florida. For more information about Oasis Church, please visit our website at www.oasischurchwh.org. And thanks so much for listening. Luke chapter 6 is where we're going to pick up as we're studying Luke's gospel. We are excited about this opportunity to share this morning, I think, going to be a very helpful passage for us in our daily life, though it can be a little bit confusing if you just are reading through and you're just doing your Bible study and you hear what Jesus has to say, you could walk away from this passage going, I'm not really sure that I'm understanding what Jesus means. He does that to us a lot. Don't be surprised by that. The gospels are hard. You read the Gospels, it's hard to to get what he's saying, and sometimes we make it harder than it needs to be. But today's going to be one of those challenges for us, but I believe by God's grace, we will get there. So let me set the scene for you that we'll be looking at in Luke's Gospel, chapter 6. We're going to be reading in verse 20 through 26. The scene is this. The Pharisees, the scribes, the religious leaders of Israel have followed Jesus. They have heard his words. They have seen a few of his miracles, but they can't get over the fact that he refuses to play by their rules. Most specifically, he refuses to to order his life according to their Sabbath regulations how they do and don't do on the Sabbath. And he's had a couple of encounters with them according to Luke's timetable. He's had an encounter with them according to what they believe should and shouldn't be done on the Sabbath. And then he, as God the Son, who he's identified himself as the Lord of the Sabbath, he's been in conflict with them over what is and isn't proper. Of course, we know that uh, that the Sabbath is a result of God's grace of which... Jesus is God the Son, and and so he understands what the Sabbath is for, and they're misunderstanding it. But in this misunderstanding, the religious leaders of, of Israel have decided that he is not someone worthy of being followed, and they have set their minds on destroying him. So that's where we are, and as far as as Israel as a nation, this is their response and stance. As far as Jesus from Nazareth is concerned, he's a preacher with a bunch of folks following him, but he is unworthy to be followed because he is not doing things the way we think he should. And on the heels of that, we see Jesus going into a place and praying all night long, spending time with the Father as he prepares to set aside 12 individuals who will follow him closely. These 12 will receive personal discipleship from Jesus. He'll train them for the next three and a half years of, of, of what ministry in his name looks and sounds like. And, and, and in fact, he's intending to, once his work is finished, to hand the baton of future declaration to these 12 individuals. We saw them last week. It's a a tremendous cast of of unsavory characters that Jesus chooses, not the, the, the team that any would have picked, yet he did. And we saw from that how important it is that we recognize that as unsavory as we are, we'll always be within that realm of of the choosing and, the, and, and the, the eyesight of Jesus. And so now he's chosen these 12 apostles and he's gone to the bottom of the, the hill that he had prayed on and he's going to begin sharing uh, what Luke is going to condense for us. I believe the same thing that Matthew has provided in his gospel in chapters 5, 6, and 7 that, that we know as the Sermon on the Mount. It seems as though this is the same information that Jesus is sharing and now that Luke is recording, yet in a much more condensed fashion. And so we have Jesus addressing what we will learn is his disciples. In in verse number 20 of chapter number 6 of the book of Luke, and he lifted up his eyes on his disciples. Who are these disciples? Well, certainly they are 
the 12 apostles, those that have been chosen to represent him, those that have been chosen to walk with him in a very close fashion. It also includes those that would consider themselves a disciple of this rabbi Jesus as a committed learner. These are folks that have heard and they're at varying degrees of commitment and understanding. So certainly within this crowd are those that would consider themselves disciples. But there was also many in this crowd that would have been considered uncommitted but curious followers. Those that are just kind of following the crowd and saying, yes, I'm seeing some very interesting things, but I'm not really sure where I stand on this Jesus. You realize that that's the audience that folks like me get to stand in front of week in and week out, especially now with the advent of streaming. You never know who's watching. Welcome to those who are. But in the crowd, there are those that have, that have responded to the call of Christ. There are those that, that would consider themselves maybe a, a, a disciple, not really sure what that means, and I'm just trying to understand how that applies to me. And then there are those that are just curious, not really sure where we stand. And those are they that Jesus addressed. And what he's going to do in, in this particular section and the couple to follow is he's going to begin laying out what it looks like to be a follower of his what is it going to cost you to follow me what is it going to look like if you're going to walk the way in which I will lead you and he begins by sharing about blessings and woes Jesus declares blessings for those in the most beneficial favored position who have experienced the true well-being that comes from a right relationship with God. Jesus is going to declare those who are in the favored position of God the blessings that they can expect. But it's going to have to do more with their heart than with their outward expression. You see, in this time, many were looking at the outward. What are we doing? What are we saying? How are we accomplishing this standard and this standard and this standard? So therefore, I'm righteous. And I can expect the blessing of God. Jesus is going to declare the blessing of God. And it's going to be to those that are standing in that favored position of right relationship to their Creator. But Jesus is also going to pronounce woes. And these woes are going to be to those who are in the worst, most unfavorable condition. Who experience or could experience the calamity, disaster, and damnation that is reserved for those that would be considered wicked. Blessings for those who are favored woes to those who are in that position of disfavor. And it has nothing to do with how it looks on the outside. Let's read what Jesus has to say. He lifted up his eyes on his disciples, verse 20, and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day. Leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven. For so their fathers did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you've received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you. For so their fathers did to the false prophets. What Jesus is saying here turns conventional wisdom upside down. I'll read you a quote by a commentator that I read behind each week. It says, the teaching of our Lord Jesus Christ 
is diametrically opposed to the human thinking. Most of the Jewish people, particularly the religious leaders, found it repugnant, offensive, and even threatening, these teachings of Jesus. In their minds, it was so wrong that it had to have been satanic. Then and now, the Lord's teaching shatters popular worldviews. It challenges men's motives, it turns their world upside down, and it stands their thinking on its head. And it makes no attempt, Jesus' teaching, it makes no attempt at political correctness and ignores conventional wisdom. Basically, if you follow the way of Jesus, and if you follow it the way he leads us, Folks will think you a right, strange individual. Because the decisions you make, the places you go and don't go, will be completely opposite to what the normal way of thinking might be considered. What does Jesus say? He said, blessed are you who are in the most beneficial, favored position who have experienced and will experience the true well-being that comes from a right relationship with God. Who are those? He says in these first few verses. They're the poor, the hungry, the mourning, the sorrowful, and the rejected. Now that seems like the opposite of blessing. When we think about blessing, and unfortunately, when when. When many stand behind a podium or a desk like this, their description of God's blessing would never include any of these. Poverty, famine, sorrow, rejection. No, no. the blessing of God is to be healthy and wealthy and happy. I find that nowhere in the New Testament. Except when Jesus talks about and when his apostles refer to the state of his kingdom when he returns in resurrected glory. I find happiness and healthiness and wealthiness in that time, but not a promise to believers in this time. No. He says those that are blessed are actually poor, hungry, mourning, sorrowful, and rejected. Now, Is Jesus talking about the tangible, physical condition of poverty, hunger, sorrow, and rejection? I think the answer to that is yes and no. The the yes is that Jesus is talking to people in that time and, and, and in our time as well, but specifically in Israel, those who were impoverished, those who couldn't provide for their next meal and had to rely on, on hustling and begging and borrowing, those that were, that were experiencing the sorrow of circumstances in their life that related to poverty and hungry, hunger, those were the ones that were rejected in Israel because according to their way of thinking, which was wrong, those were the individuals who were under the hand of God's judgment. If you were a beggar, it was because you were a sinner. Or someone in your family lineage was a sinner, and so therefore you're suffering under God's hand of judgment and with evidence because you're poor. You can't feed yourself. You you don't have the means to provide for yourself. Then it's because God is judging you. Of course you're sorry. Of course you're mourning. Of course you're sad because your circumstances in life are horrible. And not only that, you've been rejected by those that God had called to minister to you. And so therefore you are outcast. You are considered disfavored by God. And Jesus said, uh, 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 actually the opposite is true. Those who are poor, hungry, and sorrowful actually have my attention. Why? Because I came to save those who are lost, and many, if not most of them, had nothing 
to their name. So is Jesus talking about actual poverty and hunger, hunger and, 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 and rejection and sorrow? Yes. But what Jesus is referring to has more to do with the heart condition. Well, the 12 that Jesus chose, at least four of those guys very likely were men of some means. You say, well, how is that the case? Well, Peter, Andrew, James, and John were commercial fishermen. They had boats that they operated. They had individuals who were servants who helped them with that miraculous catch that Jesus provided for them. There were those that, that helped them. Employees, servants. Peter had a house that Jesus went to and healed Peter's mother. So it kind of tells us that Jesus is not primarily referring to whether you have money or not. He's referring to those with a heart after him. What had the religious leaders done? They had rejected him outright. They had weighed Jesus and found him wanting. We'll not follow you. We'll not condone you. In fact, we're going to seek to destroy you. Jesus says to those following him at different degrees of commitment, blessed are those who find me and receive me. And he uses these terms of financial and social standing to illustrate his point. Who are these who embrace, believe in, trust, follow, and identify with Jesus of Nazareth as Savior and Messiah? First, he says, those <clears throat> who are poor. Now, in Matthew 5, 3, Jesus is reading, or not reading, as he's pronouncing these beatitudes, these blessings. He said, blessed are those who are poor. And then Matthew gives us a key that Jesus is talking even more about something that's unrelated to my physical, social standing. When he says, blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Now, would anybody say that Jesus was poor? Well, in this life, he was. But what had he done? He had set aside all that was his so that he might come and be what we needed him to be. So Jesus wasn't a poor guy, but he was in a poor situation of his own choosing. Now, Jesus is talking now about people who are poor in spirit. Who are these? They're those who know that they are bankrupt before God of the righteousness that comes from themselves. Who had rejected Jesus? Those that felt like their righteousness was superior to his because he refused to keep their rules and regulations, even though their rules and regulations were nowhere in any of the scrolls that were read in the synagogues, but they were in the books of their interpretation of how the Israelites should understand the Old Testament. You should understand it this way, and you should do these things. And Jesus is basically saying, I'm the source of the Old Testament code, I know what is and isn't to be done. Nothing has been broken. I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. It was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So you're wrong. And they said, therefore, you're no good. The ones who had a righteousness of their own did not need that that was being offered by Jesus. And those individuals, those leaders, were completely provided for in their position. They were the rich of that day. And yet they had said no to Jesus. And Jesus says, blessed are the poor. Wait a minute. Jesus, the poor are rejected by Israel, by the leaders, by the synagogues. I know, I've come for them. Because it's about their heart. The poor are what? They're destitute, they're dependent. They can't provide for themselves. They know what it feels like to have need and have no ability to meet that need. And when it comes to the righteousness required, they know 
they ain't got it. And Jesus says, those are blessed who know their spiritual bankruptcy and yet are looking to me. Well, he says, theirs is the kingdom of God. Are you bankrupt of righteousness today? You realize that you have no ability to be what is necessary to stand before a holy God if you know that no matter how good you try to be, it's not going to be good enough. Well, then you're standing in a place of blessing. Because if you turn to Jesus for that righteousness, you know what you'll find? The kingdom of God is yours. Now, Jesus is juxtaposing then with now. Now you have nothing. Even if you've got it all, you recognize you got nothing. Well, then you can have it all. But if right now you got all you need, regardless of how much equity you have but in your heart you think I've got all I need to to provide for myself regardless of whether there is a God and if he even cares if you have what you need now well then he'll have a woe that he'll speak he moves on he says not only the the poor the destitute the dependent in spirit, but also blessed are you who are hungry now. Those who are hungry now have a longing. Anybody? Anybody hungry now? <laughs> Anybody? It's, yeah, thank you, Bill. One honest man in the room. There's half a dozen folks looking up restaurant times right now, but you are honest enough to say you're hungry. No, I'm looking at the, at, the, at the church app, Pastor. Some of you are. Anyway, I'm hungry, okay? I'm hungry right now. Ate one too many bowls of dumplings last night. Hand five to my wife. Boom. Southern goodness in a pot. But I had too much last night, so I didn't do anything for breakfast this morning. I'm hungry. I don't know what it means to be truly hungry. To go meal after meal after meal and have little to nothing. So many of those that were following Jesus were following him because all they had ever heard about Messiah was that he was going to come and he was going to set up his kingdom and that, that Rome would be out of the way and that we would be back to prominence and the Messiah was going to provide for all our needs and we're hungry. I've got family that's starving. My kids haven't eaten. And, and I'm just, I'm wondering what this is going to mean. So I'm following Jesus, hoping he's the answer. And he says, are you hungry? And I think many in the crowd were going, yes, I'm hungry. Well, then you'll be filled. Today, you see, when Jesus is breaking the bread, you remember there were so many that followed him because he broke and broke and broke and broke, and everybody was filled to their wants, and they were like, This is my guy. I'm following him because he's the provider of bread. And Jesus is saying, That's not the kind of bread you should want. That bread's temporary, will fill a temporary hunger in you, but that hunger's going to come back. I'm the bread that provides satisfaction for what your deepest longing was. And, and most of these recognized from what they'd been taught is they were poor because they were under God's judgment, and because they were under God's judgment and poor, they were hungry. And Jesus is going, ah, it's not about what you have to put in your mouth. It's about that heart. And those that were hungry physically in Jesus' audience were craving the righteousness of God, needed to be in the favor of God so that they could have the stuff that the religious leaders had so that they could provide. So I'm longing, Jesus, not only for my stomach to be full, but for my, the righteousness of God to be true in my life. But I don't know how to get there because they say I can't. Blessed are you. 
favored are you who hunger after righteousness and are coming to me for it. You're hungry now, but you shall be satisfied. Now here's what goes against conventional wisdom. Conventional wisdom says, satisfy me here first, and then I'll be willing to be satisfied here. Jesus says, be satisfied in me, and and that will take precedence over this. You go, that doesn't make sense. I, I think it's because we're wrestling too much with stuff to give him that place of ultimate satisfaction in our heart and mind. Jesus says, you're hungry and you're thirsting after righteousness and you're seeking it in me. You're in the position of blessing and favor. Psalm chapter number 21, I'm sorry, Psalm chapter number 42, verses 1 and 2. You think about David as he's hiding out from Saul, as he's on the run, and, and, and maybe he's in the back of a cave, and, and he sees this little lone deer come to the edge of, of the entrance of his cave. probably startles him. He thinks it's the, the, the coming army to get him. It startles him, and there's that deer. And he sees that deer just... What is it? It's thirsty. Probably pawing at the ground, looking for a little moisture to keep going. David says, like that deer is panting after water, my soul longs after you, O oh God. When, did, when would David had thought this? When it would have been very normal for him to say, Lord, as that deer pants after the water, so I long for the freedom from my enemy. I long for the opportunity to be the king like you said I was going to be so that I wouldn't have to be hiding out. But what did he say? My heart and soul longs after you. Did David want off the run? Yes. Did David want to enjoy the blessings that were promised? Of course. But what was David's primary desire? His Lord and his God. Jesus says, if, if you're making me, your primary desire. You might be hungry now, but you will be satisfied. Not only the poor, not only the hungry, those who mourn. Why were they mourning? Those who who mourn in sorrow were sorrowing over their own brokenness. Of course, because poverty and hunger and, and my family being without it causes me to live in a state of just agony. I don't know what to do. I don't know where to turn, and I'm sorrowful. He says, those of you who weep now, you're blessed because you shall laugh. You know, when you're going through a difficulty, um, it's hard to laugh. It's as, as as someone who likes humor, and I do. I like to cut up. I like to be humorous. Um, I have to be really careful when I'm with folks that are grieving and mourning. Because sometimes in my nervousness, you know where I tend to go to? I I tend to go toward the comedy. And you know, there's there's some times where comedy is just inappropriate. And there's been far too many times where I've thought, man, I wish I just hadn't said that at all. I wish I just kept my mouth shut. Because for those who are truly sorrowing, laughter is miles away. You know, don't, don't, let's don't, okay, thanks, great. You think that's funny, okay. But I'm so broken that I can't even imagine there being joy. I think what Jesus is talking to is people who are sorrowful over the fact that I'm not going to be able to stand in God's favor because obviously I'm under his judgment. I'm poor, I'm hungry, and so is my family, and I can't make it right. And no matter how hard I try, no matter how many sacrifices I make, nothing changes, and they keep telling me it's because God's mad. Jesus says, are you sorrowful? You're blessed. 
How, Jesus? Because I can affect that righteousness that you long for. And that will bring joy to you that will supersede all of the sorrow that they're trying to heap on you and you've bought into. Jesus, does that mean that, that my circumstances are going to change? No. Because we're talking about now and then. Now it may be like it is. But if you're wondering about that righteousness needed for then, then you've come to the right one. Are you poor, hungry, sorrowful? And you're looking for it in me? Well, then you are blessed. This is teaching like we've never... Have you ever heard anybody say this at the synagogue? Never. This, I don't know, this, this one seems to say that he's got the, the connection to righteousness. I'm going to keep following him. I'm going to keep listening to him. I'm going to keep learning. Though some would say, yeah, I thought you were going to tell me about a job opportunity you had. I thought you were going to put me into contact with at least a baker who had some leftovers for me. I thought you were going to change my sorrow into joy, Jesus. It's all good. But those whose hearts were turned toward the God they were seeking to walk in favor with and seeking it in Him, Jesus says, you're blessed. And for everyone who stayed, everyone who's still here, blessed are you, verse 22, when people hate you, when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Who's the Son of Man? Jesus already referred to himself as the Son of Man. That title that comes from Daniel about the one who is to come like a Son of Man to bring uh, about those promises that God had made in earnest. He's now referring to himself. You're going to be rejected because of me. If you're looking to me, you're poor. Nobody wants to have any time of day with you. If you're looking to me for that righteousness needed, you're blessed. You're hungry, you're looking to me, you're blessed. You long for righteousness, you're you're sorrowful because you had no hope and you're looking for it in me, you're blessed. And you're going to keep being blessed. How's that, Jesus? By being excommunicated. (laughs) Woo! Right? No. No. Worst fear for someone in Israel was to be rejected because of a faith issue. Because if you were outside of the synagogue, if you were outside of the graces of the leadership of the, of the, of the temple personnel, well then they were telling you you had no hope before God. You're outside of us, you're outside of Him. Jesus goes, don't listen to them. You get rejected because of me. You get made fun of because of me. You get canceled because of me. He gives us a command. Verse 23. He says rejoice in that day. You you know what we do in America? We get reviled. We get rejected. We get done, you know, wrongly. What do we do? We lawyer up. You ain't going to say that about me. I got a right to. And you know what? Okay, fine. But Jesus says the response you need to have of being rejected because of me, rejoice, celebrate. Let's have a party. Because I'm being persecuted? (laughs) Yeah. Why? He says, because you're in good company. Your reward is great in heaven. And so their fathers, the ones who are rejecting you, their fathers rejected the other prophets that I set up to be bearers of my message. You're in good company. And just a couple of rotations around the sun from now, they're going to be in his company. Because their rejection of him is going to come to completion as they put him to death. Jesus says, rejoice. You're looking for your righteousness in me, you're blessed. You're hungering for the righteousness that you don't have in me, you're blessed. You're sorrowful over the fact that you can't be righteous before God and you're looking for it in me, you're blessed. And, and listen, there's going to come a time when that 
blessing of, of, of stuff and that blessing of sustenance and that blessing of laughter, you don't even realize how minor stuff and food and laughter and joy are in this life. This is a broken life. This is a sin-cursed world. When you're in the presence of the one who made you and redeemed you because of me, well, all of this is going to pale. In fact, if I can turn, if you'll indulge me, to 2 Corinthians chapter number 4. Paul has a little something to say about the difficulties of this life. 2 Corinthians 4, verse number 17 and 18. Let me find it. Charge. Here we go. Paul says, For this light and momentary affliction. Paul was beaten. Paul was imprisoned. Paul was denied his freedom. Paul was treated in a very rough way. And he says, this light, temporary discomfort, we know that it is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, what? The hurt, the pain, the rejection, the reviling. The, the hunger, the poverty, the sorrow, all that comes with following Jesus in this life, we look at those things that are seen. We don't look to that, but we look to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient. They're temporary. They're only here for a minute. Eternity is forever. But the things that are unseen... The promises that Jesus made to those regardless of their social status. If they're looking to him, the promises that he's made, the blessings that he has announced are forever. And forever is a great trade for a little bit of difficulty here. He says, so rejoice. You're in great company. Celebrate. Party. But in case you're wondering... Who the woes go to. Jesus says, but I have some some disappointment that I need to share with those who are of a different persuasion. These woes, one writer said that, that this word woe means it carries with it. I pity you if this is true about you. If this is true of you, then I pity you. He says in verse number 24, but woe to you who are rich. And some of you in the room are going, well, that's not me. Oh, yes, it is. You might not be rich compared to the folks that live up the road from you, but compared to the majority of the people in this world, we are extravagantly rich. I don't think Jesus is necessarily talking about how much money and stuff you have as to how much of what you have has you. Specifically speaking, righteousness. Who were the rich of Jesus' day? The teachers of the law, the scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, those that were the leaders set apart to lead the people. They had the money, they had the wealth, they were rich. And why did they think they had it? Because they were righteous. Because of the things they did, because of the rules they kept, because God was happy with them, they were rich. Jesus says, I pity you who are rich. And think it has anything to do with your righteousness. The rich are those who rely on their own ability to do and to be what God requires of them to do and to be. What does God require of us? Holiness. Why? Because He is holy. He requires righteousness out of us. Why? Because He is righteous. And He says in His Word, there are None righteous, not even a one. Our attempt at God's glory is an airball attempt. We can't do it, 
But if you think you can, and those who reject me do, well, then I pity you. Because while you might be rich now, you have already received your consolation. You've already received. And this word comfort, consolation means comfort. You've already gotten now. But now is very short compared to then. Then is going to have a righteousness requirement. If you're relying on yourself to provide it, then when then comes, you won't have it, no matter how much you think you have. Who are these? The ones who are rich in themselves. Woe to you who are full now. You got money? Then you got money to burn. You got money to spend. You got money to eat. You're full now. And you're satisfied in what you are providing for you. Primarily righteousness. But it's a sense of security that you've got in you. He said, you fool now? You better enjoy it for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now. How, are, how is it that you're laughing? Because you have nothing to be sorrowful over. All your needs are met. Your belly's full. Everything you want to do, you can because you've got everything you need and you've got no concern over the righteousness that is not yours. And you've rejected me and you're good on your own. He says, you better enjoy it. I pity you. For those of you who are experiencing laughter now, not the joy of family, but the security of self. Well, you're going to mourn because now is short, then is eternal. I pity you, verse 26, when all people speak well of you. For so their fathers did to the false prophet. Who was spoken more well of in Israel than the religious leaders? Why? Because everybody wanted to be like them. Because if I can be like them, guess what I'll have? I'll have enough to live on, I'll have enough to eat, and I'll have enough to counteract my sorrow. And everyone spoke well of the Pharisees. They got the best seat in the banquet. They got all the welcome introductions. Everybody thought them to be what they thought themselves to be. Jesus says, I pity you. Because uh, your fathers thought the same thing about the false prophets. And you're no closer to righteousness required than they were. What is, what is the source of blessing from God? The source is faith in Christ who provides the righteousness we need. Those who are blessed have recognized their poverty. They've recognized their hunger and their longing and their, their sorrow over what they are because of sin. And they cry out to God in faith, asking for mercy, asking for forgiveness. On what basis should I give it? God, the basis of Jesus, the righteous one who has come called those to repentance who will listen. Well then, highly favored, are you out of darkness into light? You shall come. Out of death into life, I shall bring you. Adoption into my family. Born into mine, you shall be. Why? Crying out to God in faith on behalf of the one who is our righteousness. Who can be for us what we can't. But woe to those who reject no amount of temporary pleasure or security will be worth the hand of God as a rejecter of Christ when the opportunity has been given to submit and to follow. So how are we going to apply this? I told you it was hard. It's difficult. Is Jesus saying if you got money that you're to be pitied? No. 
Do you have Jesus? Yes, I do. And it'll have an effect on your money. Are you hungry? Not, not so much, Lord. I, I have every meal made, but are you a follower of me? Yep. Well, then it'll have an effect on what you have. Are you sorrowing in this world over your sin? Yes, I did. Did you find that, that, uh, that answer to your sorrow in me? Yes, I do. Are you still sorrowing over the brokenness of this world? If you're one of mine, you are. And you'll pursue me because of that motivation. And, and guess what it'll cost you? <laughs> Everything. They're going to reject you. The closer you get to Jesus, the fewer folks want to hang with you. The more you follow him, the fewer folks will want to spend time around you. Unless they need something. And then they'll find you. Because what your life is going to represent is the answer that they're looking for. Just make sure you point them to him and not to yourself. A few things to think of. Three of them to be exact and we'll be done. Woe to any today who are trusting in these. Pity on you if this is what you're trusting. Belief in God. Whoa, wait, I thought that's why we we're here. Uh-uh. The devils believe, James said, and tremble. But they're not in the family. A lot of folks believe in God. Have you called out for the righteousness that can be yours only through Christ? Woe to those that are trusting in their own good deeds. Woe to you if you're trusting church attendance or charitable contributions or the faith of your family. Well, grandma was a fantastic follower of Jesus. Well, then she is blessed. But pity be on you if you're trusting her faith to have any effect on your life. Woe to those that are trusting baptism. I got wet on this day of a, uh, of a particular year at this particular place, and he, he dunked me down. I came up wet. I got a T-shirt, and everybody clapped. That's of no help to you if it's not the testimony of one who has cried out to God for the righteousness that they need that can only be found in Jesus who provides it for us. What about shame? Anybody ever said, shame on you? You said, oh, you ought to be ashamed. Okay. Shame on all of us who trust Jesus for heaven, but then live out our daily lives for money, stuff, the acceptance of others, with no concern for the things that matter to Christ. You walk away from here today, you'll go, okay, I'm poor in spirit, I'm hungry in spirit, I'm sorrowful in spirit, I'm won't be rejected. Good. Because I'm not rich, I'm not, you know, I'm not full, I'm not laughing, and I'm not except okay, but this is where we live in America. You trust Jesus, you can go to heaven. Awesome. Now what do I do the rest of my time? Well, just American dream. Get out there and make all you can. Spend all you want. Do what you need. Save enough to have enough. Without any thought of what Jesus has called us to do. Represent Him. Even if that means poverty, hunger, sorrow, rejection. Because Jesus is saying, that's what you're going to find if you follow me. That's the thing we need to wrestle with today as a Christian church in America. Shame on us to want Jesus to save us eternally, but not use us in the now so that we might help prepare others for then. Amen? But ultimately, blessed are all who, knowing their spiritual emptiness, Hungering for God's righteousness, broken over their own sin and the brokenness around them. Blessed are they who cry out to God by faith in Jesus. 
and pursue him come what may well that's the way of blessing that's his way my hope is that that's the way you're on if you don't know Jesus as your savior it's about confessing him as the only Lord through his death and resurrection in our place and for our sin calling us to cry out to our maker on his name you can leave from here one of the family don't reject don't go the way of the woe accept a blessing just know what it costs for his glory now as we wait for them stand with me if you will let's pray Father we thank you for the day we thank you for your word we thank you most specifically for your son we thank you that he sees us in our poverty even when we don't think ourselves so he comes to us in our hungry even when we think ourselves full he is seeking us in our state of sorrow even when we think ourselves in a pretty good place And he invites us to find our true riches and satisfaction, joy in him. We thank you for him. We accept that that will mean rejection, scorn. We don't like those things in America, Lord. We don't like it. We want folks to like us. God forbid that we ever change the message so that, well, that people won't be so annoyed with us. May we stand firm on your word. May we speak and present Jesus with love. God, may you be glorified in our life. Now, no matter what. We ask that you'll take us and use us. We might be useful in your hand this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said.